Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today so far? Pretty good? Well, that's good. Um, I just want to begin by saying uh, welcome to everybody. Um, in case you don't know me, your first time here, or maybe you've watched online before and now it's your first time here. Um, I'm Jim Del Campo. I'm the senior pastor here, and I've been privileged to be able to do that for 29 years and a month now. And so I really enjoy it, and uh, hopefully I have many more years left. Amen? Um, and thank you for all the birthday wishes this last week. Um, you know, I really appreciate it. I don't want any more birthdays, but, you know, um, how many don't want any more birthdays? You want to stay alive, but you don't want more birthdays, okay? Yeah. I told my sister, I go, I don't want any more. She goes, you know what that means? I go, no, I don't. She goes, it means you're not going to be alive if you don't have any more. I go, well, then I want more, okay? If you're going to put it that way to me and stuff like that. So I appreciate all that. I, I turned the, uh, the magical number of 65 years of age, and I know some of you out there going, come on, you don't even... Yeah. Some of you are thinking, Jim, you don't even look 34. I go, I know, I got it, okay? But, um, and I don't dye my hair, all right? So just so you get that out of your head right now. Um, I take after my mother. Uh, my mother had um, dark jet black hair into her, um, into her mid-70s. I mean, then she started getting some gray hair here and there. I have a sister who's 80, and I don't think she has many gray hairs in her head. And so it's incredible, uh, the genes on that side of the family. But lest I digress into Ancestry.com, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me talk. We're in a series called... Uh, uh, love by association. And we began last week by our association with Jesus Christ. He is the true love uh, definition. And uh, we're taking those definitions. And last week was foundational. And so this week we're going to start building upon that. And it's about five, six weeks. Today I want to talk about love. Love lets go. It's a very important topic. Um, and I remembered back, I, I don't know if I shared this story when in the early years of the church or when I was a student ministries pastor. Some of you were in my youth group years ago, back in the late 80s up to about 1990. But this thing was called, the story was the old, it's called the Old South Indian Monkey Trap. And what it is, is they would take a coconut to catch monkeys. They would hollow out a spot in the coconut where the monkey could put his hand through. They would chain the coconut to a spike. Now, one, they would put rice inside the coconut. The monkey would put his hand in the coconut, but once he grabs the rice, he now he turns into a fist, and he can't pull his hand out of the coconut, and thus they catch the monkey. The monkey is trapped because he just won't let go, and now he's going to be taken hostage, going to be taken captive. You know, you think about a story like that, and you think, well, you know, how many people live like that monkey, right? We're so trapped, we're so caught, because we won't let go of past uh, grievances, of what people have done to us. By the way, I like to tell everybody, we're all victims in some way by someone. Any amens? So don't think yours, is, yours might be worse, but we're all victims. But he won't let go, and therefore... If you think about you know, what, how people are living, how many of us are living um, dominated by a memory of someone, something someone did or some event? Which means that we've allowed uh, a situation with people in it to come 
and take up residence in our mind, in our soul. You follow me so far? Because they, we let them live there through our unforgiveness and bitterness. And think about it, they've taken up residence in us, but they don't pay us any rent money, do they? In fact, the only person it's costing is those of us who have allowed them to come in. We're the one paying the price. We're the one suffering from anger. We're the one who allows that to affect our current relationships in our life. And by the way, I'll throw this in a little sidebar for you. Those of you single young people are dating, listen closely to Pastor Jim, and I'm sure somebody in this room will qualify the statement. That is this. You better really, really watch when you're dating somebody and thinking about marrying them. You better watch and see how they relate to family or to parents. You better watch and see if they're angry or bitter or unforgiving. Because you can sit there and say in your little times together at the movies or wherever, at the drive-in or at the restaurant, say, when we get married, it's all going to be different. Ho, 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 ho. You are kidding yourself. It's going to be worse. Because if they have not re resolved the unforgiveness and bitterness, once they've left mommy and daddy's house, guess who they turn the anger and bitterness toward? You. They take mom and dad's face and now they put it on you and you don't even know what hits you. You don't even know how such a supposedly great thing turned into a pure living hell because there's so much in them that's never been forgiven, let go, that now you're the object of that. And now you're wondering, why did I ever do this? Now, I just gave some of you advice, maybe one of you, that'll save you tens of thousands of dollars in your life. So I expect $20 after the sin. No, I'm just joking. But I just gave you advice on them. Be wise, my friend. Be wise. If you need to go through a lot of counseling to resolve that stuff before you get married, it will be a wise decision in your life. But we have to learn to let things go. Now, Paul, uh, a New Testament guy, he writes in the letter to the Ephesians, Here's what he writes. It's not our text for today. We'll get into our text, which is Luke 7, in a few minutes. But let me show you what it writes. It'll be up on the screen. It's in Ephesians um, chapter 4, verse 31 and verse 32. Watch what Paul writes. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger... Now, anger is the inward disposition. The Greek word for wrath means the outward... Explosion of the inward disposition. Let all wrath and anger and clamor, clamor is what you watch on the news regularly now. It's the rioting people, the outcry out of control. That's what clamor is. And slander, and you see that on the news constantly. It's all, it's just, that's all it is pretty much now. Be put away from you along with all malice. In other words, this should not be part of your life. Then he says, you should be kind. You know what the word kind means? To furnish what is needed to other people. What a better way to live, huh? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as, say just as. Say it again, just as. Now we said that last week a couple of times, that's a big key phrase that we found last week in our Love by Association. Just as, we're to forgive just as God in Christ also has forgiven you and me. So we are to forgive exactly the same way that God in Jesus Christ has forgiven us. I got a question. How many of your sins has He forgiven? Louder? 
He's forgiven every last one of them. He doesn't hold on to any of them. In fact, the New Testament teaches that God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. It doesn't mean that God goes, well, I've lost my memory. I don't remember what Jim did. No, he knows what I've done. But what it means is that God will never bring them up and throw them in my face. How many like that idea right there? I mean, so this is a great thing. So we're to live just like God does through Jesus Christ, who's God in the flesh. Now, hold that thought. Let's get to our key verse for this particular series and our tagline. And I'd like you to read the key verse with me. So John 15, 13, I'm going to count to three. Read it here, those at home. Let's all read it together. Here we go, one, two, three. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. Now, when Jesus spoke that in John 15, he hadn't died on the cross yet. He was about to. He was going to blow their mind, but he's given them a little uh, preamble on what is coming and what true love looks like. Now, from that statement, just very briefly, we find that love is not just words. Love is action. Because greater love has known than this than one laid down his life for somebody else. And if you ever want to see the action of love, the New Testament has a brilliant, short, definition of action terms of what love is. It's found in a New Testament letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse about 4 through 9. It's brilliant. It's, it's so true. Because you can read all kinds of false definitions out there in the culture all you want. You can hear all kinds of crazy things, and man, it's getting crazier and crazier. But you can find out what God says. You say, well, how can I believe the Bible? Because Jesus said this was true. And if Jesus said it, and we've already proven historically there is evidence for a resurrection, we've already proven in the last series also that there is evidence, science, not Christian science, have found that the universe had a beginning point. It was kick-started by something. We call that God, right? So the evidence is in. And Jesus says the New Testament is true. So, so I believe it. Now, our tagline then, since we take action as love is action, we say something like, uh, what it means is, I take the person next to me and I put them in front of me. In other words, I, I have to look at other people as more important than myself. It doesn't mean that I discount my needs. I have needs. I mean, I need tacos with hot sauce and guacamole. I get it, okay? Praise the Lord for the clap out there. But I have my needs and I got to take... If I don't take care of my needs, then I can't take care of anyone else's needs. But I don't overdo my stuff into wants and just all about me. Jesus says that the idea is that the person next to me must be put in front of me. Look at other people as more important than myself. We find that in Philippians in a great chapter that describes Jesus the Messiah. So our tagline is this. Our tagline is, when love meets inconvenience. Say that with me, one, two, three. When love meets inconvenience. How many know that true love is very inconvenient? Because if you're going to lay down, and by the way, you know, let me go back to you single people. Um, married people will, will tell you this is a fact. Um, don't even bother getting married if life is about you. It's just not going to work. It's got to be about that other person. You've got to be able to, to meet their needs and take care of them and, and look at them as just as valid as you are. But if all it is is selfishness, you're not ready to get married. You're more like about eight years old emotionally, even though you might be 25 or 30, but your emotions need to grow up. And that's a big problem in our society that people's emotional natures are stunted and have not grown. Unforgiveness is a stunted emotional nature. 
And so you want to be able to look at the other person's more important than yourself. Does that make, am I making sense? Okay, so turn to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at this idea of love, let's go. We're going to go into a Jesus story. This is Luke the writer. Luke never, by the way, Luke never walked with Jesus. He went back after the resurrection and interviewed the eyewitnesses of Jesus, wrote all this down. He also writes down the book of Acts. Luke is a doctor, by the way. He's highly educated. He's a doctor. And so Luke and Acts are like volume one and two of Luke's, you know, in a sense, gospels. So I'm going to give you three points today. With a third point, I want to really drive home on this idea of love, let's go. So here we go. Number one, you notice, and that says, do not categorize sin. You never want to categorize sin, because if you commit one sin, you, you, you broke the whole law. That's what the New Testament teaches in James 3. Now, let me begin reading the story, because it's a great story, uh, Jesus' interaction in the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Verse 36 to 39 says this. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, him is Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, look up at me. Don't think of them sitting at a dinner table or like you with your tray in front of the TV watching a game eating dinner. That's not the way they ate. They, 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 it was a U-shaped and the food would be brought in the middle of the U. And they're laying down on their left side like this, reaching for the food. And their, their feet, their bodies are going outward as they lay on cushions on the ground. And the food was right there on the table. They would also take their sandals off uh, to eat also. So that's the picture that you want to get in your mind of what's going on as far as reclining. Because a woman's going to enter and something unique is going to happen. Verse 37. And there was a woman in the city who was a... She's a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him, so now you know she's standing behind him, he's laying down, feet out, she's behind Jesus. At his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, so she's crying. Now, she's wiping them with her hair. So now you know she's kneeling down, she's crying. Her long hair, she's wiping them, those feet. And she's kissing his feet, anointing them with the perfume. She's taking the perfume, which is a very expensive perfume, this alabaster perfume. And so she's pouring it on him. In many, in many cases, that vial of perfume was like a big savings account for this woman. So she's spending money, guys. She's anointing him. Now, verse uh, 39 says... Here comes the transition. You know the part in the movie where everything like, something goes wrong? This is the part right now. Now when the Pharisee, this is the guy who invited Jesus to the house. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he's not saying it out loud. He said it to himself, maybe thinking it. But he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, meaning Jesus, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a, she's a sinner. Now, let's break this down a little bit as we, as we, move, as we build our case today. Now, the first thing the Pharisee does, this guy named Simon, he does is he categorizes her and her sin. If Jesus knew who and what sort of person this person is. Now, it's believed by all the commentators that this woman is a prostitute. And it says in earlier verses that we read 
that she's well known in that city. So everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows what she does. So this is one of those cases where it's out there, out in the open. If this guy Jesus knew who and what this woman is all about, he would not let her be touching his feet at all. Now let me tell you what I like in the story because it just goes against the grain of culture. The woman is a sinner in the Pharisee's mind. They are in the, by the way, a Pharisee back then is a religious leader. He's up there. These people have wealth in their high positions in the city and this and that. And they think they're the most self-righteous people on the planet. They really, really do at the time. They started great hundreds of years before, but they've progressed to the point now where they just think that they're like the top dog and everybody else is sinners. She bursts into that guy's home and she's a sinner. What do you think Simon the Pharisee is thinking when that prostitute comes in his house? I, th I thought, this is, a, in my mind, I'm going, this is a, I wish I was there to watch it. But Simon the Pharisee, he's, he's appalled. She's come into my house. This woman who's a sinner, she breaks protocol. You know what I like about that? What is she looking for? Forgiveness. Grace. Someone to understand. Because you're not getting that from any men out there. What do people need? Forgiveness. Grace. Someone to understand. If we as a church forget that, as church people, we might as well shut it all down. We might as well forget this whole thing. Because we're to offer people grace and forgiveness and mercy because that's what they need that's what you and I needed I can only imagine that after this event's over that Simon the Pharisee when that woman and Jesus leave he probably gets let's get out of the COVID wipes and wipe everything down because whatever she's touched we gotta wipe it down my friends now let me tell, her, tell you when they say that this woman is a sinner don't think of sinner in a generic form like oh she's just a sinner like everybody else and that's not what they're saying when that, when that Pharisee says sinner, what he's inferring to or referring to is that there were certain occupations that were considered sinner occupations. It left you unclean. Tax collector was one. Prostitute was one. If you work with like a tanner, dead animal skins, that you're unclean. And another one was shepherding because you would be stepping on the droppings of the sheep which is fascinating to me because the night that Jesus came to this earth and was born in Bethlehem in the manger, who the angels came and announced the birth of the Messiah to who? Shepherds. Those angels came to the unclean, to those who needed a physician. Who were the ones who came a couple years later to see him as a toddler? They were the Magi. Remember that? They are Persians, they're Iranians, they're not even Jewish people. So the Gentiles, they're all these people coming to Jesus because they're sinners in life. I like that. This is who God came to draw unto himself, which is, means he came to draw all unto himself. But when they call her a sinner, what they're saying is, you're in an occupation that leaves you unclean. I'm a Pharisee, I am righteous, and I am clean. What? How ridiculous is that, right? So they've categorized now and there's a danger in categorizing sin. Let me tell you what one is. I'll tell you two. 
The first one is this. Once I categorize someone's sin, what I'll typically do is elevate myself, correct? And I will lower them, correct? And once I elevate myself, because oh, obviously I don't, I'm not a sinner like them, you know. But then I lower them. Now I justify my um, desire to spiritually COVID social distance them, okay? I don't need to be around them anymore. And we do that all the time. Any amens? Any amens? Yeah, we do it. We do it. No, we got to be careful with stuff like that because we are a group of believers who follow Jesus Christ and we are not to live that way. Let me tell you another big danger. The Pharisee Simon. He looks at the woman. He knows who she is. He knows what she does. He's, he says, he, he goes, who and what sort of woman this is? Does he see a person anymore there? He just sees what she does. He just sees a thing that needs to be corrected. You got to be careful with that. He's a Pharisee. Every church has Pharisees, Christian Pharisees in it. I'm a recovering Pharisee. Any, any recovering Pharisees here? If you know what I mean by that? Raise your hand. I, I want to know who's on my team. Us recovering Pharisees, here, let me tell you a little bit about us. We're sin hunters. We're looking for where you make your mistakes. Because then we're going to pounce. We're going to tell you what you need to change. I lived the, at least the first 10, 12 years of my faith that way. And I thought I was perfectly justified in doing it. But then you know God starts to break you, doesn't he? How many recovering Pharisees know God starts to break you? And you begin to realize you stink just like everybody else. Let me tell you about a Pharisee. And, and this is for some of you in this room because some of you are being rocked by Pharisees right now. Because every church has Pharisees. Some of you Christian Pharisees are watching at home. Hi. <laughs> Christian Pharisees, they only come up to you periodically. And listen closely. Some of you are being badgered by them to tell you what's, what you're doing wrong. Now, if you're doing something wrong and you know it, just, you know, change that. But the Christian Pharisee will come up to you only at times to tell you what you're doing wrong. I don't know if it just took me a while to realize my, what I am and then what people, and then, because people do that to me too. What I do now is I just go, <laughs> but I really don't listen to any of it to be, I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just too old for that. And I've just, I just learned too much. Let me tell you why I don't. There's a reason why I don't. Because that person has never come up to me and asked me, hey, you want to go out to coffee? I just want to see how you're doing. They've built no relationship with me. Oh, they sit out there. Only time they talk to me is to correct me. Jim, they try to correct you? Yeah. <laughs> but my motto for me now is don't tell me what you feel and what you think. Because if what you feel and what you think is contrary to this, it don't matter to me. It's irrelevant. And if you come to me, you better bring this. I've spent 42 years in this to try to live this. These are not my words. I'm not smart enough. But I don't, they've never, look, the Bible, New Testament says, listen, some of you need to hear this. You speak the truth in love. Now, it doesn't mean you go, you know, I love you, but let me tell you all about it. No, it doesn't mean that. Okay. That's not what it means at all. 
But that's what a Pharisee thinks it means. No, love is a relationship word, is it not? So if I'm going to speak truth to somebody, I should build relationship with them, right? Am I right? So I should have relationship, and then that gives me uh, the... Uh, the credentials and the credibility to share something like, hey bro, hey sis, maybe this is not the way you want to live. Because I built relationship. That's why sometimes I just can't stand social media. Because all these people on there criticizing this and that and the other thing, what relationship do you have with that person? You weren't even on site to know if that's even true of what you're saying. It's crazy. Anybody see it's crazy besides me? It's like it's insanity. And I see Christians doing, I'm thinking, really? You're so self-righteous, that's what you put, huh? It's an incredible, incredible thing watching this. I'm way off notes, so I gotta find out where I'm at again, okay? Okay, so we don't wanna categorize sin in people because we elevate ourselves and then we lower them. Now, the second thing I wanna say is this. Grace and forgiveness lightens our load. Grace and forgiveness lightens our load. And this is a very important truth. Now look at um, Luke chapter 7, verse 40 to 43. It says this. Okay, let me back up. Remember, Simon the Pharisee saw the prostitute in there crying over Jesus' feet, and he thinks to himself, if Jesus was a prophet, he'd know what sort of woman this is, right? Remember, he's thinking it. It's not out loud. He's not, he's not saying it out loud. Now watch this. Because does Jesus know what everybody's thinking? You better believe it. And now watch Jesus in verse 40. And by the way, since some of you just found out that Jesus knows all of your thoughts, that's either the best thing you've ever heard or the worst thing you've ever heard, okay? <laughs> verse 40. And Jesus answered him, <laughs> Simon, I have something to say to you. He, Simon replied, say it, teacher. Oh, notice, just teacher. You're not God in the flesh. You're not Messiah. You're nothing like, you're just a teacher. <laughs> now Jesus is going to tell a story. And when Jesus tells a story, how many know it's a corrective story? It's to enlighten you into something. Jesus tells a story. He says, okay, Simon, a money lender had two debtors. How many know that you and I are the debtors in the story because of our sins, right? We're in deep, we're bankrupt people. He had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's a denarii's one day's wage in that day. So one owes 500 denarii, the other 50. Stop. Who in the story is probably the 500 denarii debtor? The woman. Who in the story more than likely is the 50 denarii debtor? The Pharisee, Simon. Or so we think. Now, about this moment, I think if I'm Simon, I would have wished I'd never said, tell the story. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them. Notice, grace and forgiveness forgave them both so which of them will love oh love grace forgiveness equals love uh oh which of him which of the two will love this person who forgave them more which will forgive love him love him more look at verse 43 <laughs> Simon. now, now you, you gotta know Simon's hesitating Simon answered and said uh, I suppose oh shut up Simon you know exactly who it's one. You're just trying to wiggle your way out of this thing because you know what the answer to the question is, I suppose. The one whom he forgave more. 
And he, Jesus, said to him, You have judged correctly. Don't miss the point. The one who's been forgiven more loves more. Say it. The one who's been forgiven more loves more. Say it. The one who's been forgiven more loves more. Which is lighter? Which is a lighter load? Love or bitterness? I, re, I watch social media. I would think it's the other way that people love bitterness. Which is a lighter load? Anger or love? I read in social media, I would think that anger is a lighter load because people seem to love it so much. Which is a lighter load? Love or old emotional pain that you still want to keep carrying? It's all Love's a lighter load. Now, Watch this. Watch verse 44 to 48. Now watch as the story unfolds and what Jesus says. Verse 44. Turning toward the woman. Now Jesus laying there. He's been talking to Simon. And he turns to the woman who's behind him. And he says, <laughs> he, said, he said to Simon. He's looking at her, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I love that statement. You know why? Because Remember Simon said, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, in other words, <laughs> Jesus can't see this woman. He doesn't know what she's about. Jesus says, do you see this woman? All of a sudden he turns the table. Did you catch that? No, did you catch that? You're the one who doesn't see this woman, Simon. You thought I didn't see this woman. You don't see her. You don't see that this is a person here. He says, do you see this woman? Then Jesus says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Stop. You and I don't catch what that means because we don't live back then. But if you came to someone's home, it was customary. They were very hospitable people that you would have a bowl of water and a towel and you would offer to let the person wash their feet because they'd been walking in sandals in the dirt. Jesus came to the guy's house. He didn't do that for Jesus. That's a real snub in the face to Jesus. Jesus says, she did what you should have done. Verse 45. You gave me no kiss, Simon, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Stop. The word kiss, the Greek word, same identical Greek word that's used in the prodigal son story when the prodigal comes home and dad runs out to his kid and kisses him. It means kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. This woman that's all over Jesus' feet just kissing away. How lovely on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Some of you got the ugliest feet. You, oh, some of you do, huh? But when you're filled with love and mercy and forgiveness, guess what? Those ugly feet, those thick old toenails ears, They're beautiful. They're beautiful. Because you're bringing something that's beyond the physical. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? Verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. She's pouring the perfume on his feet. That perfume is worth a lot of money. She's given up her savings to Jesus. Some of us won't give anything to God. And 
we sit there and we say, well, I earned it. Oh, you did. You created air and put that in your lungs and created your lungs too, huh? I didn't know you did that. I didn't know you created your eyes. We forget that God's a creator. Jesus is and he's created everything for us and we have the ability to create wealth because he's allowed us to. Any amens on that? Never forget that. Never forget that. Verse 47. For this reason, I say to you, Simon, this is what I'm telling you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved, she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. That's a big statement. Verse 48. Then he said to her, now to the woman, he says, Lady, your sins have been forgiven. Ooh. I got a question for you. <clears throat> How do you think she felt when she left the house that day? Light? I feel pretty. I don't know. Can you imagine how she felt? I'm forgiven. Every, every one of these liaisons I had to prostitute myself, I'm forgiven. It's all washed away. It's all gone. I love you, Jesus. You ever walk in on Sunday morning or wake up Sunday morning going, I can't wait to get there and worship. I love God. He's forgiven me so much. Anybody? Or we Saturday night going, are we going to church tomorrow? Shut up, okay? <laughs> Golly. I, tell, you know, I, tell, I haven't said this in years, but I'll say it right now. If my wife asked me on Saturday night, are we going to church tomorrow? I would be so offended by that. What are you talking about, lady or woman? Of course we're going, man, God has done so much for us. Of course we're going to go worship him. Of course we're going to be there. Are you kidding me? Oh, okay, you said that because you're a preacher. You have to be here. Don't ever offend me like that. No, I'm just joking. Before I was a preacher, I was at church all the time. I couldn't wait to be here. It was the greatest thing I'd ever found in my life. She left the house free, light, light. And that's something. Now, let's get to uh, point three, because I've got to move on here. The point three is, I want to drive this. This is, my, this is my favorite. The more unforgiven, the easier it is to forgive and let go. That's what the whole point is. Let's back up to verses 42 and 43 to reemphasize the point. Watch. When they were unable to repay, he's back in the story, remember? He graciously graced, forgave forgiveness, them both, so which of them will love, love him more? Which of the two? The one forgiven 50 or 500 denarii? Which will love more? Then verse 43, uh, Simon, now answering Jesus' question, said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. You think? And he, Jesus, said to him, You have judged correctly. Okay. My and your ability to forgive others and let go is directly related to how much I've been forgiven. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah or no? Yes or no? Okay, good. Okay, I did some math this week. Uh, two weeks, three weeks. I'm always three weeks ahead. I type my messages up three weeks ahead. So I did math. I'm a math guy. I can do math. I can do multiplication, division, addition, subtraction in my head. I can carry numbers. I can see them in my head. How is that possible? I don't know. But if you take me to algebra, geometry, calculus, I'm like uh, a buffoon, okay? I have no idea. But basic math, I can carry big numbers in my head. So I did math in my head. I said, okay, 
Let's say when I was 15 years old back in 1971. I won't be able to let go of that, okay? Um, let's say that was the moment when God said, Jim Del Campo, this is the day that now you are at the age of accountability, where now you know what right and wrong is, and God has placed in every human what right and wrong is. He's, he's done it. It's New Testament. We, we decide to violate our conscience. So that now we're going to hold you accountable for your sins, right and wrong, at age 15. Well, I did math. I multiplied. I said, okay, let's say that I average five sins a day for 50 years. You know what that came out to? 91,250 sins that I've committed. Who said woo? And you're thinking, you committed 91,250 sins? What are you doing preaching? Right? It's a lot of sins, huh? You say, well, I, five, I don't commit five sins a day. Really? If we opened up your mind and everybody could hear what you think all day long? <laughs> Probably have about ten right there. <laughs> a day. You watch the news, scream at the TV, get mad at this and that? Probably about twenty right there, right? Come on, man. We all sin. We all have a lot of sins. We have a mountain of sins. Now, let me, let me drill down on this one. <sighs> Christians, just, just stop thinking that the world out there, the culture, is going to line up with this. Just quit thinking that, okay? It's just not. It's a fallen world. It's governed by the God of this world who the New Testament says has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. When you came to Christ... You were delivered from the matrix. You could now see, Neil, right? Peter in the New Testament says that we are strangers and aliens in this land. I'm not even from here anymore. Paul writes that our citizenship is from heaven. I'm, from, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's my primary citizenship. Jesus said in John 17, as he's praying for the disciples and future disciples... He says, keep them safe because though they're in this world, they're not, they're not of this world. You're not from here. You're not about this thing. You're, you're a different person. Once you came to Christ, the blinders came off and you could now see. Any amens? So remember that. Out there in the culture, they can't see what you see. And you can get mad all you want. Oh, they just, why don't they? Well, they can't see it. You should be able to see it. Now, here's my thought. What if all the insanity out there and people mad and screaming and everything else and mad at this and angry at that and by the way, I, I quit watching the news last year. I just said, that's not getting in my head. I am not going to have that in my head. And for the sake of you saying, or just last year, in 1994, I quit watching a pretty good bulk of news agencies because it was like, no, nah, it's not going to get in my head. But last year, it was like, unless something changes there, <laughs> No, no thank you but what if everybody out there in the craziness of this culture and mind you I firmly believe that about 330 million of us aren't like that I think there's about a million people out there like that 
But the rest of us, I think we get along, right? I think we're not crazy. I think we're okay. At least you don't look insane. But what if, what if, at that moment, when everything about to blow up again or whatever this, what if everyone stopped and in their heart and in their mind, they said to themselves, he who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone. You know, and by the way, Jesus said that. Well, I've committed 91,250. So have you. He who's without sin be the first to throw a stone. You know that that truth diffused a mob that day? Because they realized, who am I to throw a stone? Who am I to cast a stone at anyone else? This for the let me talk to people, younger people, listen to what they're saying, but those fifty and older I'm older, I'm sixty-five. Why did I say that? But anyway, those fifty and older. Look, I, I made a decision about maybe twenty years ago. I wasn't gonna grow up to be some cranky old man. I wasn't gonna grow up to be an irritable, angry man. I wasn't going to do that. I wanted to grow up to be a goofy guy. And if you ask people around me, they know, you, they know I'm real goofy. I love being goofy. I enjoy it. It's just, it's a much lighter way to live. I'm a lot happier. I'm a lot happier. And if you find yourself getting irritable and angry because of everything, you know, you better tone it back down and get back to here. Because I am not going to pass anger and bitterness and all this stuff. I'm not going to pass it to my kids or to my granddaughters. Anybody f- agree with that? You got to watch yourself, man. Be careful. Be careful. Because you may say, well, I'm only 25 now. Man, I was 25, then I blinked, and now I'm 65. It goes by so fast. Now, I got to rehearse something with you. And I think I got to do it periodically. I, I shared this back in our summer series when I went on the ghost series, went through Jonah. Remember we were outside in the parking lot? That was a lot of fun. You know we're going to do some summers out there this summer? We're going to have some services out there this summer. Any amens on that? Did you like that? I like it. We like it. We just thought, that's a really good change of pace. Now let me show you, because people live in ancient grievances, whether they're just from last year, 10 years ago, or from 100 years ago. People love to live in ancient grievances. But let's see what the Bible says about stuff like this about a few, a few scriptures on it. Amos 6.12 says this. Would you read it with me? Here we go, one, two, three. Do horses run on rocks? Or does one plow them with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Wormwood is a metaphor for bitterness. Now, notice they've turned justice into poison. What is the writer saying? He's saying that if you and I get justice, and today it's all about justice, but if we get justice, and sometimes, by the way, you may not get justice, and don't worry about it, Christian, because there is eternal justice. Any amens? So relax. If you and I get justice, but we get justice with anger and bitterness, after we get justice, what are we left with? Anger and bitterness. And we get to pass it to our kids and grandkids. Isn't that fun? Isn't that the funnest thing? Let me give you another one. Look at this in Micah, Micah 6, 8. Very popular Old Testament verse. 
He says, He has told you, O man, what is? There's a good thing He's going to say. And what does the Lord require of you? This is what God requires of us. But to do justice. God's for justice. But also to love kindness. That's mercy. Don't give people what they, don't give them what they deserve. And to walk humbly with your God. Now watch what He says there. He says, to carry out justice, you need to carry out justice with love and mercy and in humility. Because remember, we've all committed 91,250 sins, right? So what he's saying once again is if I get justice with anger and bitterness and I do get justice, what am I left with? Anger and bitterness. And I just pass it on to the next person and the next person and my family and we're all bitter and we're all talking about this, we're all talking about that. Isn't that fun? Some of your homes are just like that. Stop it. Quit poisoning everybody. Stop it. You want to talk, look, I've said this before. You, you want to expose somebody else and talk about what you think about them, first go on social media and list your 20 worst sins you've ever committed. Put your picture on there and your name. And list, you know, talk about yourself first. And then go ahead and start talking about everybody else. Do that first. Come on. Even the game there. But don't sit there on a perch at home being all self-righteous typing away. Nobody cares. Now, nobody cares. Getting your seven likes. Oh, I got seven. I mean, that should tell you something right there. Huh? Let me, what's my favorite story? <laughs> Thank you. It's the greatest story. Now, for those of you who don't know the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, the boy, the son, he's the younger of the sons, he asked the dad, and this would have blown the minds of the, the original hearers when Jesus told him the story. He asked the dad for the inheritance, which you don't give the inheritance until dad dies, okay? So what is the younger boy telling dad? You're dead to me, man. That's a very, uh, the original hearers, when they hear the story, would be like, <gasps> what the boy asked for? The boy take the dad gives him money. The boy's like, he's gone. Goes to a far off country. You're gone. I'm gone from you, dad. You're dead to me. He goes out. There, he blows the money. Blows it all. He has nowhere to go but where? Back home. You can criticize your parents all you want. But when everything goes south, guess who are the ones who will take you back in? Mom and dad. So quit lying to yourself. Well, they're just terrible. Oh, yeah, you enjoyed their electricity for all those years. Huh? <laughs> Air conditioning's cool, huh? Okay, so, question. In that story, who's the victim? Who's the victimized person? The dad. The dad. Listen, those of you who love to play the victim and love to jump in on your social media victimization stuff. The dad's the victim. Who in the story initiates forgiveness? The dad. Whoa, that doesn't play out there. But the dad initiates forgiveness. The victim initiates forgiveness. But what, why? What, what is God trying to tell us? I think here's what he's trying to say. 
that when you've been victimized, and we all have, just, just don't play games now. The only way you're going to get healed up and restored in your soul and lose your bitterness and anger and let things go is to what? You've got to forgive. You've got to let it go. I'll bet somebody in this room, you would stop having to pay all that money for a counselor if you would forgive. Guaranteed. But you're sitting there talking week in, week out, but I'm not ready to forgive. Hand over 100 bucks this week. Because you're not ready to forgive, huh? Just hand it over, man. I'm just telling you the truth. Love lets go. The victim initiates. The victim initiates. Don't play victim. Let go. Just let go. Because you start playing the victim, you play the victim the rest of your life. And think everybody's at fault, and everybody's against you, and everybody owes you. Nobody owes you anything. People aren't against you. But, and what you're saying is, well, everything revolves around me and my victimization. Sorry, no, it doesn't. Okay, last thought. Um, the very first uh, Christian church martyr, the first one killed for their faith, is Stephen. He's, uh, you find this in the book of Acts, chapter 7. As, as the church begins to expand, there's pushback. And there'll always be pushback against Christians. Just understand it. We're not of this world. They're always going to seek to take away things from Christian church and stop it. It's just what it is. There's a real devil. Don't sit there and think the humans are really doing this. They're just puppets on a string, the way you and I were before we came to Christ. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But Stephen... You know what they do once he preaches the message of Jesus Christ? They're just so mad. And they're Pharisees. They're just mad. They start pushing him and pushing him outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And then they pick up stones. And they start pummeling him with stones. They're killing him. He will die in the next few minutes. And in that moment it says this. That he looks up into the sky, into heaven. And he says, Father, I, I give you my spirit. Take my spirit. And then his last words that we read that he utters is, are, don't hold this against them. He's being victimized. He's being murdered. He's being pummeled. There ain't no justice there. But he says, don't hold it against them. Where did he learn that? It's a just as moment. When Jesus was dying on the cross, his opening words were of the seven statements. He says, Father, forgive them for they, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing to me. Stephen has been taught those words. And so Stephen, as he's being killed, he's living just as, just as Christ has forgiven, just as, therefore I will forgive. Do not hold, bang, they're hitting him with stone. Do not hold this sin, bang, as they're hitting him with stone. And he's dying. Don't hold this sin against him, bang. Don't hold it against him. Just as. Just as. Just as. You want to be whole? You want to be restored? You want to live like Christ? Then live just as. Let go. Forgive. In your heart, this morning, forgive whoever. Whoever needs to be forgiven. 
Don't expect them to change. You're just going to get hurt again. Just know that's the way they are, but you forgive and you let go. And then watch what God does. Watch what God does inside of you. Inside of you. Let's pray. Now you may be here today and maybe you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know. Just know that God loves you. And maybe you've committed the 91,250 sins like I have. But you know what? He'll forgive every one of them. You know that one sin will keep you out of heaven? And heaven's a long time. Eternity's a long time. And maybe today's the day you want to put your faith in Jesus. I'd say, great. I'm going to lead you all in prayer right now. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life, just know in this prayer I'm going to ask you, I'm going to have you repeat to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins to embrace Him as your only God, Savior, and Lord. And He's going to save you from yourself, from Satan, and from sin. So if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, or rededicate your life, whether in this room, or watching from your home, or car, or wherever you're at, repeat this prayer out loud. Everybody in this room, say it out loud so that anybody in this room who wants to do this for the first time rededicate, they're not alone. They're not alone. So here we go. Everyone repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would come and die for me, that you would carry my 91,250 sins on your body and wash them all away. Thank you. Thank you. I place my faith in you today as my Lord God, Savior and Messiah. Thank you for saving me. Okay, friends, let me pray. God, I pray for anyone who said that prayer for the first time or rededicated their life. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Get into the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years. Get into church. Get into a fellowship. Into fellowship. And start to live for God. For the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, Amen, amen and amen. I'm going to ask our small group leaders to come on up here. You saw tables up here. We're going to start back in our small groups. Amen? Amen. We have been stalled out by COVID for over a year now. But we're going to come back to what we're supposed to be doing. And I hope you join in. We have all kinds of groups up here. The leaders are going to be up here to talk with you. You can sign up for these. We hope you join in and become part of a body of believers. So would you stand up with me, everybody? If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.